Welcome back to Unonymous, where the anonymous are unanimous. This is Dan Nakovich, your host, and what I'd like to um, talk to you about today is raising children to become great decision makers. We've discussed what a good parent is and what it means to raise good children and how we do that a little bit. We discussed that. But uh, today, I want to talk about raising children to become great decision makers. And if we could all do that, do our part, take care of our own family, we might have uh, a great world to live in. Just got back from uh, North Dakota. This is January the 20th, and, or actually January the 22nd. And it was ice cold up there in North Dakota. Uh, we did the proverbial thing. We uh, froze our ashes off. And uh, we have nothing to show for it. Anyways, um, had a great time up there. Uh, we were going to buy a house uh, for a good deal, by the way. And uh, decided there was too much work involved to to buy the house and live out of a camper for say a year and we didn't want to do that not only that we wouldn't be living in it at all the time so it's, it just wasn't economically and socially the best thing for us to do so we're back in pensacola where things are happening all the time and i'd like to give a shout out to uh spire marketing they are a great group of people to do your marketing. Anyways, um, give them a call sometime and you can uh, see what they can do for you. So, raising children to make great decisions. Really, uh, the reason I call it that is because sometimes people want to raise their children to be obedient. <sighs> well... I used to have that philosophy myself. Now, obedience is a great thing, don't get me wrong. But obedience is not the goal. Making great decisions is the goal. Sometimes we have to disobey certain authorities to make great decisions. Now, some of those decisions, uh, we can determine if they're a great decision by whether or not it brings peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Uh, if it doesn't, if our decisions to defy authority brings forth destruction, chaos, murder, and anything like that, we know that that's a bad decision. Good decisions are based upon the good that it brings to others. Great decisions are a result in great things happening for people, not just ourselves, but for others around us. So, starting out, I'd like to start out with this. My wife, I wish she were here. I asked her to be a part of this, but she's so busy with our six children that uh, it was it's really difficult for her to come and join me in on this podcast. But guaranteed, she does agree with me, and I'll probably have her in here sometime going over some of the same material that I'm going over with you just to let you know, and I do not impose my will upon her. She has her own will, and um, that's just the way it is. She's a great woman. I am very blessed to have found her. 
amongst all the wonderful women that there are. She just happens to be the one that suits me the best. By the way, the word helpmate uh, is a term that does not mean um, to be a helper. A helpmate means to help meet the needs. Uh, and the, the idea is that if you have a slatted fence and you have gaps in that fence, but you need that fence not to have any gaps, the wife fills in the gaps. Where the husband doesn't succeed in filling in all the gaps that are necessary within a relationship, the wife fills in the places where her husband lacks. And sometimes that means a lot of filling in for a woman. So a woman is quite versatile, just as a man is. But uh, she's not meant to be filling in all the gaps. She's meant to be filling in the gaps that the husband cannot um, feasibly do himself. So that's just a little, that's a little tip, a little hot tip. That was free. You don't have to pay me for that one. Um, okay, so starting off, number one, raising children to become great decision makers. If you want to be your child's leader, become their servant. Now, from the greatest leader that ever was, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said, whoever will be your servant, he will be your leader. So if you want to be your children's leader, uh, learn to be their servant. Uh, the old English uh, wisdom was that the child was the master. Master Richie, Master Bobby. And the reason is because it seemed whatever the child wanted, the parent was always serving the child and what they needed. And that is truly uh, the way to look at things. You want to be your child's leader, then, then learn to be their servant. Daddy, can I have some water? Instead of saying, you know, go get yourself some water. You don't see it. I don't see a piano tied to your leg. Uh, you as the dad or the mom can get up and gently and so lovingly pour the glass of water and, and share it with your child. Sooner or later, that child will know that you love them by your service to them. One of the things I tell my children, uh, they say, Daddy, I love you. And I say, that's great. That's great. But like Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. I tell my children that. This is how I know that you love me, if you obey me. Now, that's not a forced thing. That's It's something that, hey, listen, you really say you love me? Then, well, show me by obeying me. And that's what I tell them. And also, there's another thing that goes along with that. Discipline, chastisement. That's found, I believe, in the book of James or Hebrews. And it says that a father chastises those whom he loves. Now, a true father that loves his child will show his child discipline and what it means to understand that right actions have right rewards and wrong actions have consequences. If we do not reveal these to our children, we are being very um, 
we're being delinquent in our parenting and also we're being unfair to our children. We're teaching them how to be stupid. And I don't think any of us want to raise stupid children. So if you want to be your child's leader, be their servant. Okay, here's another uh, scripture that says, Inasmuch as you did to the least of these, my brother, you did it unto me. Jesus was talking about treating those who you consider the least among you as if they were the Son of God. Uh, Because God is watching how you treat your children. Make sure you treat your child as if they are the Son of God. Because God is watching how you treat your children. Their angel, that is your child's angel, reports back to God and how you are caring for his greatest creation. Remember that. That's a scary thing. God is keeping tabs on how you treat his treasures, on how you treat his most valued creation. You treat one of these children poorly, and God will strike you, now or later. It's better be struck to be struck now than to be struck later. That's when you have no chance to repent and to, to turn from your own cruel ways. Your child is not yours. They belong to the designer and creator. You're simply the caretaker until they are released to their true master. Choose wisely as a parent and make your plans accordingly. Now, here's something that I, uh, I wrote down because, well, when I had my first son, you know, I, I was 54 years old when I um, sired my first child, and it was in wedlock. You know, when you're single and when you're watching everybody, sometimes you think you have all the answers. Sometimes you think you know what to do and what not to do. Well, when it comes face to face with, well, it just doesn't doesn't matter what it is. You can be an armchair quarterback telling the quarterback what they should have do. Of course, should have done. Of course, you can do that when you're sitting in a soft chair with nobody running at you at, at 40 paces per second. Well, not quite that, but it's it's uh, it's a lot easier to say what one should do when you're not when you're watching uh, from the sidelines or watching from home on a TV or you're watching other people raise their children and you're not doing it. So as a single man, I understood this concept that we don't always know because I've seen so many people who knew everything have children and then blow it big time. Or, you know, they would treat their children poorly or they would uh, they would give their children bad advice or they would give their children no advice at all and let their children try to figure out things that even adults have a hard time figuring out. So I don't think it's very wise to just, you know, let your children just come up with their own answers. Um, I, I just don't think that that is a very good pattern to follow. Parents are there to, to a husband is husbandry, to, to take care of, to cultivate, to bring to fruition. A husband brings to fruition the things that are in the seeds that are in a child's life or in his wife's life. 
A husband is there to make sure that his garden grows greatly, that his garden grows with great gusto and with great fruitfulness. If someone came to my garden and saw that it was all scrappy and hardly any fruit bearing, they'd say, what's wrong with the gardener? They don't say what's wrong with the plants. The plants naturally grow, but the gardener is the one who allows it to grow or keeps it from growing. And so what kind of husband should a man be? And what kind of uh, governess should a, a wife be? What kind of governor should she be? Okay, your child. So I asked God, I said, God, uh, show me. I don't really know how to be a good father. I've never been a father. I don't know if I'll be good or bad. But I know this. I want to raise great children. I don't want to just, you know, take a stab at it and say, oh, that, that's the best I could do. Please show me. You've been a father for eons. So let me have your wisdom and show me what I can do. And I got this picture in my mind of this porcelain cup. And this porcelain cup came to me as pure white. And let, let's, keep, um, let's keep all the uh, prejudices out, whatever color it is. That's not the point. The point is not the color. The point is porcelain comes out white. Okay? So, anyways. So, your children comes to you as a perfect porcelain cup. Now, there are several things you can do with this cup. It's up to you what you shall do with it. You can crush it. You can crack it. Throw it away and trash it. You can paint an ugly design on it. You can abandon it. Or you can paint a beautiful design on this cup. Me personally, I like the beautiful design. But remember, as humans, we are unreliable unstable, at best inconsistent with our logic and judgments. We are too moved and biased by our emotions and peripheral influences. We are not capable of delivering a perfect training environment for our children uh, that is void of drama and justice and full of perfect love. But the God of heaven and earth Jesus Christ is the perfect Father. We can read that in Isaiah 9, 6. If we will submit to his leadership and guidance, we are guaranteed a perfect upbringing. This takes submission to Jesus and his will on a constant and consistent basis. We must always seek his guidance for wisdom and direction. We must never trust our own ways, but must depend completely on him. You see... Um, given a paintbrush, no matter how big or how small, I can try and put a beautiful design on this cup. But my hand is shaky. My emotions are shaky. My stability is, is unstable. I may try to depend on my parents' teachings or their background, but realizing the dysfunction that they operated under, I realized it's, that's unreliable information. A lot of information was missing. And all the people around us, they all have their own, all, all their own ideas. But there's one who I can listen to. 
Now what I felt God saying to me when I said, well, why don't you raise my son? And I felt like God said, I can. I'm like, well, go for it. How can you do it? Oh, heavenly father. And I kind of got this picture of me setting down the paintbrush. And then I felt God say, you become the paintbrush and I'll be the hand that draws and paints a beautiful picture on your child. If you will submit to my hand, then I will perform a great design upon your child. And this was the most profound thought that I think I've ever had. So what it takes is a continued relationship with God Almighty himself and me to release my own biases, my own, my own terms, so to speak, and to turn to him and his emotions, his direction, his wisdom, his understanding, his knowledge, forsake my own and, and embrace his so that whatever I use, his hand is directing the emotion and the stroke, the word, the thought, the deed to my child. Thus, he indirectly raises my child with my permission and my submission. Thus, if we would approach every relationship like this, not just our children, but especially our children, to deliver to them a drama-free and a um, humanistic, uh, heavily, uh, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Heavily humanistic, reliant upbringing and place it directly squarely upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ to raise our children. We would have the most fantastic families in the world. And this is what I'm going for. The greatest family in the world directed by God himself. What if God raised all of our children? Well, he can if we submit to him. That's the point. So, continuing on. So that's an important part of raising your children. Let God raise them. Don't depend on yourself. You're too unstable. You're mentally ill. You don't have what it takes, but God does. He's the only stable one amongst us. So let's depend on him. Now I go to uh, point four, the four P's of raising a child. Now, I, before I do that, I, I heard this from a friend long time ago, probably 30 years ago. His name was Jay Peterson. His name still is Jay Peterson. Anyways, he said this and was such a profound statement that I, I must relate it, but I must give credit where credit is due. So oftentimes uh, I've said things and people take it as their own and they never give me credit for saying it. But I'm not like that. I give credit where credit is due. And this man deserves the credit. He said something so profound. And here it is. 
Children are like arrows. Of course, we read that in the Bible that uh, a man is blessed if his quiver is full of children. In other words, if a man has a lot of children, he's a blessed man. So children are like arrows. Now think of the arrow. Think here of the arrow. Your child is an arrow. What do you do with an arrow? In hunting terms or in warrior terms, you take the arrow out. You put it in the bow. You hold it close to you. You, you draw back the bow and the arrow, the bow string that is, and the arrow close to your chest. And then you aim correctly for your target. And then, whang, you release. And off goes the arrow to its target. So then he came up with a simple but profound statement. What do you do with arrows? You hold them tight. You aim them right. You give them flight. Isn't that profound? I think it's awesome. So it is. You hold your children. Love them. Keep them close to you. Don't be anxious to get rid of them. But cultivate your relationship with them. They're the most, most important relationship that you have. More important even than your parental relationship is the one with your children. Because you're passing on a most important baton. The legacy of your family. And what shall that legacy be? So it's important that you don't fumble the baton between generations. It's important that you hand off the family legacy with great care. The most important part of a relay race is the handing off of the baton. If you drop the baton, you've got to go back, pick it up, and then run the race. Make sure you learn how to pass the baton. In fact, the best teams completely practice the transfer of the baton. Learn to pass the baton. Learn to pass the teachings. Learn to pass what's important from generation to generation. We see this clearly indicated in the most important family in the world. Now, some would disagree with this, but there's no greater family ever, ever, in the history of mankind, and everyone can say who it is. It's the family of Abraham and Sarah. Again, we bring out the fact that Abraham did not fail to pass the baton, and he wrote it down so that each generation would know what it is that the baton is, what it is, their relationship with their God, the... Uh, <clears throat> what is necessary for them to be considered a legacy in the family. So the legacy that we want to leave is uh, delivered to the next generation in the baton and what that represents. So, okay, getting on to four. So, when I call the four P's of raising a child. And so the four P's of raising a child, this is the simplest way to describe the four stages of an honorable life and existence. Well, that is understanding the stages of a person's life and 
how we deliver the baton and how it gets passed on and how it gets carried on without our help after we've helped them. Okay, that sounds backwards, but it's really not. It'll make more sense the more you think about it. Okay, number one. A, the number one P is to prepare. Number two P is to practice. Number three P is to prove. And number four P is to preserve. So again, prepare, practice, prove, and preserve. Now, how does that work out? Well, you prepare your children to make great decisions from zero to 12 years old. You teach them by every means that you possibly can without injuring your children, you prepare them to make great decisions. Because remember, you can't be there 24-7. There's no parent that can be there forever and always. But if you can teach them to make great decisions without you being there, then you have done more than most people could ever do. And so you prepare them to make great decisions from zero to 12 years old. But from now, a lot of parents have a problem with this. In the Jewish tradition, at 13 years old, a boy becomes a man. Or they often use the woman now. But generally speaking, this may sound sexist. It's not. It's just a matter of responsibility that a boy takes responsibility for his actions at the age of 13 the age of accountability. So practice. Let your children practice making great decisions from 13 years old to 19 years old. <clears throat> now, a lot of parents flub on this part because they want to keep control of their children. They want to make sure that their children usually does not embarrass them or does not, so to say, disrespect their authority. And so when a child at 13 years old wants to do something different, parent generally will feel offended that their cher that their cherished cherub decides to wants to decide to do something different and in so in order to hold the the authority and the dominance over their children they make it difficult for that child to make any other decision other than the one that the parent has set out for them the final decision something kind of what like what the fbi does to people when they send them on an investigation here's our conclusion <clears throat> you find the uh, evidence that proves our conclusion um not quite that bad i'm just being um uh, satirical sarcastic uh, whatever it may be. Okay, so anyways, let your children practice. Give them a time to practice under your tutelage. When they're under your care, when you can counsel them, you can be more like a counselor and say, did I do a good job in preparing you to practice making decisions? You'll find out. You'll find out if you made uh, some headway with your child when they were uh, from zero to 13, did you spend enough time with them? This is the time when you start to give them the reins, start to give your child confidence in decision-making. If you never give them any confidence in their decision-making, none of their decisions will have confidence in them. You, as the parent, have the responsibility to give your child some confidence. So let them practice. You know, if you... Uh, teach a child 
it's kind of like um, what you have, uh, you have lab and then you have, uh, then you have technical or you have the, the book textbook um, teaching. You teach them from the textbook, but then in science you have labs where you actually practice and you, you experiment. Kind of think of this as lab time. You've given them all the textbook uh, ways and how things should work, but now you've got to go to the lab and let them practice to see if what you've taught them is actually any good. They've got to test it and they've got to practice it. So let your children practice. Be there to help guide them oversee, but don't, don't micromanage them or don't get down on their back if they make a little mistake. Say, well, that's, that's part of you know, learning how to make great decisions is practicing. Okay, so then after you've let them practice from 13 to 19 years old, it's a really a, actually a fun time because now you don't have to be so dominating. Well, you really don't have to be that way even in the first 12 years. Dominating is really not the, the point of any type of teaching. That's a tyrant's way, but we don't have to dominate. What we have to do is we have to teach. <clears throat> we have to lead. We have to serve. So the third P is to prove. Your children must prove their great decisions from 20 years old to 29 years old. This is a time, <clears throat> at least that I found in my own life, the most difficult time in my life was in my 20s. When now, you know, I was out of my mom and dad's house and I was on my own and now I had to make decisions. You know, sometimes it seems like a lot of parents <clears throat> determine whether their children is, are making, their children are making great decisions based upon financial success. This is not the only place of success that a person has. In fact, I would suggest that that's probably the least uh, meter uh, or metric to go by. The greatest would be character, honesty, integrity, um, mercy, kindness, all the things that are really, really difficult to maintain when we're in a world where we have no credibility. And generally in your 20s, you have no credibility. But if you can maintain character, if you can maintain a good character and uh, focus more on uh, the beautiful interior of the person rather than the exterior uh, drapings that you can put on yourself and the exterior uh, possessions that you can give to yourself and mask over the truly ugly person that you may be because you have no character. So proving oneself has to be proving their character, not their ability to make money. The ability to make money is, is an easy task. The ability to have good character 
is the most difficult task in the world. And so then in your 20s, that's really what you're trying to do is you're trying to prove your own character, your own faithfulness to truth, to love, to kindness, to honesty, to integrity. And finally, you preserve. Your children are finally tasked with their with preserving the great decisions they have made or their great character or their great determinations for life. And you have to preserve it now from 30 years old to until you pass. Many people <clears throat> get to the place and they've done a lot of great things in their 20s and they prove themselves, but then they fail to preserve the great character. And then everything that they've done is washed away. They did well until they failed to preserve the good things, goodness, kindness, forgiveness, long-suffering, honesty, mercy, justice. And they lose that perseverance. And then the the preserves that once the life that once tasted good has lost its preservation and becomes rotten and then nobody wants to be around it Ugh. so in those four ways remember prepare your children to make great decisions number two let them practice making great decisions number three then it's on them to prove their great decisions. That's character building. And number four, it's, it's upon them to preserve their great decisions. And your own preservation of great decisions is just as important because it's kind of like mountain climbing. The leader is at the top. If he has failed to drive in the, the safety um, hooks in the rock and he falls those safety hooks go right with him and everybody that's hooked onto him falls as well so make sure that your steps are sure yourself and that you've preserved all the integrity and beauty of dignity that you have for your children and then let them pass that on to their children. And don't let that fail. Remember, it cannot fail. You cannot fail. Okay, I want to talk about discipline. Discipline is for correction, not for injury. Uh, when you correct something, say if you're driving and you overcorrect, Generally, what happens is you end up in the ditch or you end up in a crash. Uh, you don't want to overcorrect. You want to correct just to straighten the path or to make the path, um, if, if someone's deviating from the path, you make corrections to their path. But you don't injure to do this. Corrections can come in many ways. Many parents feel that if they can beat their children into submission, they will have accomplished their goal. Breaking the spirit or the will is not the goal. 
Channeling the will and freeing the spirit is the ultimate honor. Teaching children to think is not as difficult as one may suppose. I have discussed this before and will reiterate it, reiterate the principles that acknowledging and pointing out the times where your children are disobedient or have been done wrong does not deter them from continuing to trespass. Uh, okay, what I'm referring to is the time we talked about football. We talked about, you know, um, throwing a penalty flag and then never enforcing the penalty. Uh, that's like throwing a flag for roughing the passer without an accompanying penalty or enforced penalty. If flags were thrown with no penalty, I guarantee you that they would carry the quarterback out on a stretcher before the game was halfway done. If nobody ever got a penalty, you know, they just threw flags. Hey, you roughed the passer. Well, with no penalty, the roughing of the passer would only get worse and worse until they had to haul the quarterback off the field. And that's like your children. Your children needs to have enforced penalties so that it's not just we're, we're human. We respond to pain. In fact, in Psalms, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Look it up. David said that. Affliction is not always the worst thing in life. In fact, it can bring us to a corrected path. And sometimes God uses affliction in our life to correct our path, to correct our step. Uh, sometimes um, when you have a child, sometimes their, their walk is not necessarily correct. And you'll, you'll watch their walk like people, you know, children with uh, toe legs or whatever. You'll watch their walk and you'll see whether or not things improve or if they get worse. And it's like with a parent who's watching their child and how they're walking. You watch to see if their decision-making gets any better. If it doesn't, you begin to place more and more imposing restrictions upon their actions so that you might improve their walk, so that they might walk straight. Just like when a doctor says, okay, uh, the legs on this child isn't getting any better, so we're going to have to install some... Uh, stepping guides, some leg uh, guides that are going to work to straighten out your child's leg. And we're going to um, turn this little knob here every week, once a week, and that is going to cause a little bit of a pain, but it's also going to correct the bowed leg or the toed leg, whatever it is. And as they continue, they, this may go on for a couple of years. As that correction may continue and get uh, more and more stronger, and still, if you take the, the braces off and you find that there's been, you know, goes back to the original, what they then have to do is they have to do some invasive surgery to actually break the bones. Go in and break the bones and then change it that way. And sometimes that happens with us. Sometimes 
we do not respond to the gentle nudgings, the gentle um, corrections, so to speak, in our life. People may come along and try to correct us, say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And we, it's none of your business. Well, you're not walking straight. Well, that's none of your business. That's my own business. Let me tell you how you walk. And so some people will do that and they will uh, negate the, the pressure, so to speak, and they will uh, deny it and will not let it have its effect until finally they have to have some real major surgery go on and then some, some very difficult times come upon them. And then, it seems, then the correction comes and the walk becomes straight again. So, so disciplining our children, channeling the will and freeing the spirit is, is the ultimate honor. You see, breaking the will is not, I don't think the goal that a parent should look for. I want to break my child's will. I must break you. This is not what I think God had intended for parents to break their will, but rather to channel their will and to um, give the child options to choose and let their will be what um, brings them to some right decisions rather than breaking their will and then then they feel broken and freeing the spirit what does it mean to free the spirit free the spirit of a person sometimes when people are called a free spirit it's generally a, a bad indication that the person who is saying that doesn't like the life that they see the other person who feels inspired to do uh, fun things or it feels inspired to do things that the calculated person would never do being uncalculated is probably a more of a demonstration of the personality and the the true person than someone who has calculated their whole life to make money and anything that is outside of that is considered weird or abnormal when where in reality the true normal person is the person who has the free spirit who demonstrates their different design that god created them through the uh, kaleidoscope of how they live their life and it's beautiful. Okay, so we go on and we've talked about the the flags and sending and having penalties for things that are, have been done wrong and, and not uh, uh, carrying out the penalty or enforcing the penalty is worthless. Your children become smarter by imputed consequences and reward. A tap in time saves nine. We don't let ch children figure out the rules of football with no instruction or discipline. Children are incapable of knowing what they don't know. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, that sounds really profound, and that's why I wrote it. <clears throat> we have all experienced embarrassing moments 
where we thought things were one way when in reality they were something totally different. Don't set your children up for complete embarrassment and failure. Sometimes a tap on the shoulder is all a child needs. Sometimes discipline comes in many forms. Sometimes the tap on the shoulder is not enough. Sometimes they need a tap on the bum. We have a saying in my household, and my children know it well. And it's not a tap in time, save nine. I just came up with that. It's this. If you don't obey, your bum will pay. And uh, when they have received a little, uh, shall we say, correction, upon the um, dairy air, uh, a lot of times I'll say, now have you asked your bum for forgiveness? This uh, absolutely makes the children laugh and play, kind of like Mary's little lamb. Only it makes them laugh because they think it is so ridiculous that they would ask their bum for forgiveness because they didn't obey. So anyways, carrying on. Sometimes discipline comes in many forms. For example, sitting on the couch, making your child sit on the couch, or laying in a bed. Uh, they've been disobedient or they've done something they shouldn't. So... Um, Sanctions actually came from the Bible. You begin to sanction time. You begin to sanction things that they can have. Well, like, for instance, no candy, no treats, no TV or video games. Uh, just a note, I don't recommend these activities for children to any parent. I mean, what I mean is TV or video games. I think that TV uh, nowadays is dangerous for the mind and only those things that, uh, I mean, people will say anything to get on TV. But we as parents are like shepherds. And words and things coming across TV can either be good or they can be poisonous to the mind. And it's the parents' duty and responsibility to make sure that their parents are, or their children are not eating poisonous things that have been said by others. Um, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is holy, if there be any virtue, if there be any good report, think on these things. Don't let your children just think about anything, and don't you just think about anything. Guard your thoughts in your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. So your thoughts are like sheep, and sheep can be real stupid when it comes to eating time. They'll eat just about anything. But as a shepherd, a shepherd goes in and makes sure that there's nothing poisonous for the sheep to eat. Likewise, you have to shepherd your thoughts. Don't let your thoughts just go anywhere. In the same way, shepherd what your children hear. Make sure that the, the husband and the wife are the voice that they listen to. Because that will be the voice that's most important in their life. So, I tell my children that listening to my voice is less painful than listening to the no-no stick. They've come to that agreement as well. Uh, now, point number 11. Teaching the ways of God is a good decision. Our ways get us in trouble. His ways garner us favor with God and man. So righteousness actually is, if you'll listen to one of my other podcasts, you'll find out that righteousness is actually a way. It's the way of God, righteousness. The ways of God 
the right way, in other words. The wrong way is our way, uh, unless our way is God's way. Then it's not our way, then it's God's way. Hmm. I know. So figure out what God's way is. What is his way with mercy? What is his way with kindness? What is his way with everything, every situation, with children, with people? What is his way? What is his way with the widow and the orphan? Find out what his way is. Be kind, gentle, all these things. Teaching these things, the ways of God as our way, as your children's way, is the only way to ensure that they will garner favor with God and with man. Okay, and, and point 12. Teach what godly justice is and what godly mercy is. Micah 6, 8 says, He has showed you, men, what is good and what does the great God of heaven require of you to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. In other words, in all of your dealings as a person, deal justly with others. If, um, you know, if someone, if you have a chance to rip somebody off, don't rip them off. Do justly. Don't try to rip others off or don't try to deceive anyone. Be fair and just. But when others deal cruelly with you or unjustly, show them mercy. Don't allow yourself to be degraded by thoughts or actions to exact revenge or cruel retaliation. Yeah, that's loving mercy. Don't exact revenge or cruel retaliation. And as far as being humbly, being humble before your God, that means understand who he is and who you are. Understand you have no clue of how great he is and how awesome he is and how that he dwells in utter, complete seclusion. And to anyone to darken his counsel with what they think they know about God is foolishness. What we have learned about the great God of all the earth and of heaven and and earth, the one who created mankind, the one who created all that is and ever shall be. All we can see of him is found in Jesus Christ because Colossians says he is the perfect image or the exact image, the exact, everything is exactly the same of the invisible God. And the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Christ Jesus. So what you know, what you want to know about the great God, the great King who created everything, you can see in Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus Christ, you've rejected the great God, the great King of all the earth. So, now here's just a, uh, a fine finale for this uh, podcast. Love your children. Don't be like many American parents who feel their children are an inconvenient consequence of getting married. Oh, this is true. Many Americans feel that way. They may not say it, but they act like it. And they go around making their children feel unwanted. This is an ungodly and a, uh, uh, a satanic 
attitude that needs to be dropped. And many pastors would say, don't you think you've had enough children after they've only had two or three? And then when you're on your third or fourth or fifth or sixth, they begin to mock you with things like, you know how that happens, don't you? I generally say, of course, and I love every moment of it. Um, don't be stupid. That's a demonic ideology. Uh, and I'll say that again. Children are a blessing from the Lord. When pastors and people come together in conspiracy against children, saying there's too many children, oh, you can't handle them. If a person will trust in the Lord, God will take care of their children. But to get this world mindset, this demonic mindset that children are too many, we're overpopulating the world. Don't tell me we're overpopulating the world. We are not. That's a, that's a lie from the devil himself. And if you believe it, then you are propagating lies yourself. So, <clears throat> American parents who feel their children are an inconvenience in quants and inconvenient consequence of getting married. The way some parents talk, their children are more of a pain or a burden than the blessing they were designed to be. So many parents feel their children steal from their happiness and take away their wealth meant for them to enjoy. No wonder abortion is the number one cause, the number one leading cause of death in children. Children are for eternity. They are your children even after you die. And why do some parents complain about their children's existence to the point that some children wish they were never born? The devil has sure got a lot of people confused. I hear many parents longing for the day when their children turn 18 years old so that they can kick them out of the house and enjoy the spoils of their own wealth and not have to share it with their children. This is one of the most absurd and completely moronic philosophies. Parents have the opportunity to raise and cultivate a person that is related to them for eternity, and still, some go and waste this opportunity with selfish desires and selfish motivations, as if possessions and monetary rewards could take the place of a living person. Wake up and realize the greatest possessions in your life are what is living, not in what is inanimate objects. People are living. Christ is living. Children are living, if we let them. Many retired people are not so happily retired. They have sacrificed their families so that they could live the good life, or as I like to say, the selfish life. Living the dream isn't living for one's own selfish desires. Living the good life is actually living for your family and those you can truly show what it means to be a good father or mother or husband or wife. To live as a noble person is better and far more satisfying than to live as a globally, uh, globally mindsetted person with values placed into widgets and tinkered toys rather than where the true value is. God, children, and people. May God bless you and may you have a great day and I hope you consider these words. I hope you pass it on as well. Please do. For all of you who would like to get a hold of me,
My email address is nokovicspi at yahoo.com. I'll be glad to talk with you if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you.